RadioInfluence.com. We're up against the ropes, taking hard shots from all angles by factions seeking to bring down our nation. But there's plenty of hope because we can and should win this battle. So says Center for Urban Renewal and Education founder Star Parker, who breaks down how we got here and provides solutions for saving America on this episode of United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford. I'm your host, Gary Benford. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is available at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. This interview was recorded prior to the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade. The government can't be our daddy. Our failed education system, the horror of abortion, the rising crime rate, damage done by the welfare state, the destruction of the black family, protecting our right to bear arms, overcoming poverty. Star addresses all of these hot button topics and more. You ready? So let's get into it. The last time I conversed with Star Parker, my broadcast was live format and Star revealed and unpacked what happened at the Capitol complex on January 6, 2021, having experienced it right then, right there in real time. A lot has happened since then. And for reasons she's explained to me that I accept, but in no way, shape or form would subject myself to, Star still works in Washington, D.C. Yet in spite of that, she remains coherent enough to still talk all things politics from the truth and conservative side. I'm thankful for that. She's unquestionably on the short list of names certified as national black conservative leaders. She has addressed more than 250 colleges and universities in regard to anti-poverty initiatives. And folks, that means she's thrown herself numerous times into the bellies of the beast because many of those so-called institutions of higher learning have got to be Marxist indoctrination centers. She's written several books, is a regular commentator on national TV and radio networks, and is a nationally syndicated columnist with Creator Syndicate. In 1995, she founded and presides over CURE, the Center for Urban Renewal and Education, which is a public policy think tank that promotes market-based solutions to fight poverty. And that's not nearly all. She's also the host of Cure America with Star Parker, a weekly news digest airing on NRB and the TCT Network. I am so happy to bring back to the show Star Parker and Star I'm Tired, so you just take over the show and run it. <laughs> You can't be tired. We're both doing major mission work, me in D.C., and you over the national airways and actually international because it's podcast. So I'm so happy to hear you have a podcast now. It's yeah, I'm happy to have it, too. And I'm under contract and they've been doing a great job of getting this thing out. And, uh, you know, it's hard because from the conservative side, you know, you, they, they try and shut you down and getting on all the platforms is difficult. But you keep doing it. And as you know, like you do, I do this for God, family, country, constitution. So I just put it out there and let the Lord do with it what he wants. 
So here's where I'd like to start with you. Cure has a recent publication, The State of Black America, which you are one of the authors. Please tell us about that and uh, what what it's about and uh, and what you would want the people to know. Well, I'm incredibly excited about this new project. Thank you for asking. And you may well, even want to have Dr. William Allen on, who is the editor of this project. He's our uh, scholar, our your scholar, our first scholar, uh, as we've transition into full service policy thought. The state of black America is actually in response to uh, the garbage that the uh, Urban League puts out every year on the state of black America. It's been one of their tomes uh, for the left for now maybe four decades that every year, right about this time, they bring out the state of black America and they consider the state of black America either in the 1840s or the 1940s, uh, pick one because it's the same story. The country's racist. All the problems that we're having on with blacks is because of somebody else, somebody white perhaps. And, um, and we can't fix them unless we have really big government. And of course, this year they put out the report to say that state of black America is voter suppression. And we must be very, very uh, concerned about that. So every year they put something. So what we've done at CURE in our growth, we've always had the desire to bring out an opposition piece because um, policy uh, tomes do inside the beltway is they're used by different departments. They're used by congressional leaders to further agendas. Uh, and if you haven't brought the data to the table, uh, then you're not at, at the table. You're not in the game. And so what Cure has done is that we should put the opposite side. We should actually talk about uh, matters of race, culture, poverty in a tome so that now the right will have a digest uh, to use to counter some of the narrative that we hear, maybe even get to the place where we can get rid of all affirmative action and race preference programs um, before they destroy the country as they add more groups. Every time we uh, open our eyes or read the newspaper, we're finding that there's another group uh, that has um, challenges, if you will, and they always seem to have the same challenges with the same group uh, that are now in the hot seat, and that's that white uh, evangelical male. So the state of black America that we just put out is looking at the progress, the pitfalls, and the promise of the republic. Uh, and it actually says on its cover, in the 21st century, it is dangerous to ask the wrong questions about the state of black America. And what Dr. Allen did brilliantly is brought many academic thinkers to the table who built out essays on various questions that people have on race and race matters. So yes, I have one essay in there, but it, this is not a Star Parker book. This is a Center for Urban Renewal and Education, first tome, first opportunity to say, we're at the intellectual and academic table, as well as the policy table. And if you guys wanna have racist questions, discussions, then let's have them, but let's have them in comparison with actual facts, not just your theories about what somebody may be thinking. Uh, that's that's great to hear. Now, there's good news about that star, and there's some very sad news about that. Now, I don't want to date us in our age, but I first heard you with Dr. James Dobson on Focus on the Family many, many moons ago after you had written Uncle Sam's Plantation. And the problem I'm looking at here is this is great that Cure is putting out a publication about the state of black America and that you're hoping that people on the right will will digest it and understand what the issues are and how to deal with them. The problem is 
Why does there need to be a state of black America being put out by Cure after all this time? Two part question. Why haven't we gotten it yet? And you brought up very something very interesting about how the other side will want you to look at 1840 or 1940. How do they even get away with it? We grew up when it was real racism. We know what real racism looks like. This isn't it. How are they able to still pull this off? Well, I'll answer the latter question first because it's very simple. They're able to pull it off because King Solomon addressed it well to say, you know, when you only hear one side of the story, it sounds really good until the others on the witness stand. And that's why out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. It's why we have the judicial system set the way that it is, that you have witnesses uh, on both sides so that people can then get before a jury and they then make the decision. And what the uh, the good guys have done traditionally since the Civil Rights Act was signed into law is not understand deeply uh, that the left was transforming our country into a, a utopian welfare state. Uh, what they don't understand is at that point of signing the Civil Rights Act into law, we were reborn as a country that now all men had the same rights in our country. And we allowed as a society for President Johnson to take us into a new attitude about poverty, about race relations, and they were going to fix these things through big government. So they develop out a welfare state. And this is now getting to the first part of your question. Why do we have to have the discussion? We have to have the discussion because African-Americans in this country moved from uh, slavery to Jim Crow, to Jim Crow to then a welfare state because the political left, who we know are uh, their philosophies are rooted in Marxism and they want a utopian communist type of environment, even though they can't point to any that's working in the history of the world. But this is where they're going. And what they did was they grabbed onto this very vulnerable people group and started manipulating and changing the rules of our society, the founding principles of our society. And black people got caught up in it. And so now, fast forward, we're $24 trillion into a welfare state, into a transfer program that is supposed to alleviate poverty and unfortunate for African-Americans is coming out of King's death. Roe v. Wade then became national law within five years and it collapsed our family life. And so without a healthy family life, you have no healthy community life. And then you have disproportionate number of African-American middle class working for the government. So the interests have changed over time. Now we're 50 years into it. Not only is it entrenched, it's metastasized. And therefore, it is imperative of the right to start addressing these issues if we really want to save our country and our culture. I hear you now. Before you go on, please explain to people about the welfare state, because I know and I've heard you wrap this down. So I know you know exactly what LBJ did. And maybe they I don't think they had good intentions because when you're when you're saying no man in a home, the more kids you have out of wedlock, the bigger you check that there's something obviously biblically wrong with that. But the point is, I am stunned to this day that there are many people who have doctorates and are leaders and people who have no clue what the welfare state did to black America in particular, America in general, and how it ties in with abortion and why that's the holy grail for the left. Please explain. Well, I did in my book, Uncle Sam's Plantation, and um, people go get it and get the full story, but I'll put it in the 
uh, the little on uh, 32nd. That um, you have more you than thirty. So just wrap it down. <laughs> Tell them, and we'll we'll you're yeah. gonna get to you're gonna get to promote your book. We'll get to all your stuff. No, that book is important to answer this question because mm-hmm. I deeply get involved in answering these questions. Uh, what is poverty? Is where we start because what happened, as you just articulated very well, is not an accident uh, to why we're in the dilemma we are when it comes to the state of poverty in our country, the state of community where there's no dad in the home uh, and, and how that impacts us when it comes to crime, when it comes to low uh, educational aspirations uh, and et cetera, et cetera. All of the things that are ill and draining uh, our society of its culture and of, of its resources. But it was deliberate what, John, what uh, Johnson did in the 60s to put together a package they said in the name of black people that they be- pretended could not then stand up on their own. You hear it oftentimes. Well, you know, you keep t- saying, pull yourself up by bootstraps. But what happens if you don't have boots? And so they narrated out these things, got it into law. But the rules over time became don't work, don't save, don't get married. It was a society that really wanted to do something. They didn't know that they had uh, done some bad things, you know, through slavery and through Uh, Jim Crow. So they were trying to fix a problem. But the challenge is they were fixing the problem with government. And and in order to buy into government has the answer means that you're also buying in that you don't think that this people group has the capacity to self-govern, that they will go out and make their own boots, if you will, if they don't have bootstraps to pull themselves up on it. So over time, by pushing out these ideas that we're going to help people, but help them through government, we're going to help them with housing, we're going to help them getting jobs, we're going to help them with food, uh, we're going to help, 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 help. help. That's Jason Riley did a book, Please Stop Helping Us, uh, because all of that help over time collapsed healthy family life. It's underappreciated that in those great 60s, uh, 78% of black husbands were in the home raising their children. Uh, fast forward today, 75% of black children are born outside of marriage. And even though many of these relationships have continued, they're not marital relationships. And that's the hand of the welfare state because it did diminish into don't work, don't save, don't get married because you can't just arbitrarily give away other people's money, tax money. So they had what's called means test. Uh, I got caught up in it. You know, my life story, you know, Mm -hmm. that listening to the lies of the left, that my problems were somebody else's fault, that I was poor because someone else was wealthy. And because I was being raised in a racist country, that things would never work out for me. I got bought up in those lies and started living day to day, making really bad choices, criminal choices, drug choices, sexual choices that landed me in and out of abortion clinic after clinic and then on the welfare state. That's why I know the rules and really well, because you cannot get out once you get in because these rules are very crippling. Uh, and that's what we have today. Fast forward. Most of the housing in our poor zip codes are government owned and operated through HUD. Uh, most of the, the work is government owned, operated through unions. Most of the education is government owned, operated through unions. Most of the policing is under attack and crime is out of control uh, because most of the households are single-headed trying to raise children. That's where the real dilemma is. Not in the 40% of Blacks that live in the suburbs and are really trying to live healthy lives. It's in where we have concentrated poverty due specifically to the Great Society Welfare Programs. Yeah, you know this. Now, you, among other people, another one is Vince uh, Everett Ellison. He's very big on this. Understand there is no way the government could have pulled this off back in the 60s up through now if they didn't have the black pastors 
on their side pushing this anti-God, anti-country, anti-family agenda through the churches because either people who go to church are going to look to God for their sustenance or they're going to look to government. And the only way you could get people onto government is to twist or turn them away from God or say that Jesus isn't doing the job for you, so let government be your daddy. And I appreciate your efforts. You have been for at least 10, 20, 30 years, right, going into predominantly black churches with black pastors trying to get these people to see the light. But it's pretty tough, right? It's tough if I if if um, you're asking, do we know where that third of African Americans are that that they're evangelical and conservative? Do we know who their churches are? That is tough because no one has taken that data. Unfortunately, for all of us as Americans, is the data collectors uh, have compartmentalized our society. A lot of it based in race, for instance. The evangelical movement, while there are those third of African-Americans who consider themselves evangelical and conservative, they are not put in the category with posters of, of evangelical. They're thrown in the black box. The black community is, has that element there. But if you're in the black box, then you have to only look and say, well, wait a minute. If 70 percent are saying this, what are the other th- 30% saying. And so there's no big data dive. And that's one of the reasons I founded Cure, so that we can get specifically into that data dive and go find those four to 6,000 pastors who haven't bowed to the bail, who are evangelical. Uh, they don't get up on the news. They don't even watch Fox. And they are consistent in their biblical messaging, which is an advantage for the right if we can find them, organize them, educate them, and then empower them to go and fix their community. So in that sense, yes, it's very difficult. But generally speaking, the community is looking at where we are, the state of Black America, the state of affairs, and saying something has really gone wrong. Uh, Do I blame them for uh, buying the lie of the great society and the welfare state? Not necessarily, because when you think about what was happening during that time, uh, not only was uh, life difficult in the 60s, uh, it was a, a brutal movement to get Jim Crow uh, out of our society uh, and to get a Civil Rights Act signed into law. Uh, but it was also a complicated time for the society. The, uh, the religious element was already unraveling. Remember, it was before the Civil Rights Movement that we started seeing the public school system secularized, um, scrubbed of all things of God. It was right at that same time that we saw that feminist movement start to grow where even the general population were rejecting ideas of traditional marriage. And now you insert a, a grieving people, a poor people into this equation. Yeah, you could get lost. I'm not excusing these pastors, but I am asking why they didn't ask the deeper questions during that time to say, are we buying a lie? The challenge for our society as a whole, in particular the conservatives, is what they were saying during that time. They have a lot of cleanup to do, because remember that the opposer to Johnson was Barry Goldwater, who was adamantly opposed to the Civil Rights Act. Yeah. Now, the reason I said what I said about pastors, and it's not just black pastors, pastors across the board to me, because 
the the whole communist movement they took over they, they they wanted to get control of the media they wanted to get control of the unions they wanted to get control of academia they wanted to get control of hollywood but they also had to get control of evangelical churches and replace the jesus pick up my cross and pick up your cross and follow me with what they have now the social justice religion or the feel good religion or the prosperity gospel so they infiltrated a lot of the seminaries you know and a lot of the pastors well, well, you have right there aren't are really Jesus Christ pastors. Well, I, I understand that, but I'm just going to push against a little bit because you said the evangelical. No, actually, it's the evangelical churches that stayed more consistent with their conservative principles. It's the denominationals that began to buy the lie because they were already institutionalized. In fact, when the Southern Baptists started shifting, mission drifting, uh, they had to have a real upset to come back to their original doctrine. You started seeing the splits in the Presbyterians. You started seeing the splits in the Methodists and all these, and the United Church, man, they went, Methodists went way fast to the left. So I get what you're saying in the infiltration in these seminaries, but majority of these evangelicals are not coming out of seminaries. And that's one of the reasons that they've been so effective uh, navigating through and getting someone like Reagan elected, which then led them to that whole Christian coalition and Christian movement. That moral majority started making itself known. That was in the 70s, 80s. So, so there was they're still fighting for that and fighting, as you're pointing out, major church presence, black and white, that are in the traditional denominations that have bought into basically a secular lie. They really think that they don't have to be consistent with what the scripture says. They have bought this idea that not only is the uh, Constitution a living, breathing document, but that the Bible is a living, breathing document. And But I would say that many evangelicals are the ones that are fighting against that. They're just in smaller numbers. The evangelical part of the Christian church is probably running at about a third, uh, the same way blacks are running about a third, saying that they're evangelical and conservative. I understand. They just vote differently. Right. I understand and agree with yeah, what you said. The evangelical doesn't vote with the, with the white evangelical. That's right. where we see real differences. But in terms of belief in the Bible, there's major consistency there. Yeah. So, well, as you may know, I don't deal with race because I don't see black and white. I see it the way Jesus sees it. Either you're born again or you're not. So if you're born again, you're born again. And, you know, you're, you're, we're all brothers and sisters of the 12 tribes if we're born again. And when I was saying evangelical, I was just talking about the evangelical church movement that would that would say that Jesus Christ is Lord. And yeah, I am. So I understand what you're saying. They started splintering off and then they started splintering into groups and you started to see this move to what you have now, and now we have a mess, but we have a bigger mess, and it's now starting you know, back from 1973 to rear its ugly head again, although in a good way, but it looks like we're getting ready to fight this battle again. Please explain to the people why the welfare state led to abortion, the, the Democrat Party's holy grail, and now why this is about to become a hot button issue again. See, because, correct me if I'm wrong here, once the, Johnson puts in his welfare state, and once there can be no man in the home, no husband, the more kids you have, the bigger the check. The problem is, you're getting check on a government dime. You can't go out and get a job as a woman. You don't have a man to support you. 
So now you have too many kids, not enough money. So now the abortion clinic is right on that one corner, the liquor stores on the other corner. In some communities, that's true, but I would not put the uh, what we ended up with Roe v. Wade at the feet of the um, Johnson movement, because when Margaret Sanger started working her agenda through our society, that was in the 30s. And when she went out and recruited black pastors to try to convince black people that children are keeping you in poverty, too many children are going to keep mm-hmm. you in poverty. That began way before we saw um, a federal welfare state. Uh, and it was mostly driven by white women wanting to leave the home. They wanted the, the, the challenge that we have with abortion uh, is that sexual behaviors or adult behaviors that through our Christian heritage are recognized inside of conjugal marriage, husband, marry, and then produce children. And as a society, we had bought that idea until the 30s and started to seep in. Now, there were outliers, of course, but as a general population started moving into this idea that we should be able to control birth so that we can you know, express ourselves in the corporate world, the biological clock is what stands in the way. So we started seeing as a people, American people, a movement against abortion in the 50s when a lot of our states started buying this idea and when the pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. started pumping um, birth control birth control so that women could yeah to, into our society and convincing women that if you manipulate your estrogen levels uh you will be able to postpone uh, pregnancy so now you can jump off into college and jump off into a career now to your point did it disproportionately impact african-americans Yes, because there was a targeting of, of, of the abortion movement to make sure that what they consider human weed, the poor, those that they think are draining all of the resources, they've been environmentalists for a long time. They've been thinking that the climate's been changing for a long time. Uh, and they believe that poor people having children are part of the problem and are going to run us out of resources. So there was this movement consistent with the engineering of the welfare state that um, – that 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 impressed these pastors to think that yes, kill your offspring. And five years after Dr. King uh, was killed is when we saw Roe v. Wade as national law. Now I'm so glad you brought it up that that's coming to an end. And there are many people that believe that um, that uh, it will just simply go back to the states and it will babble it again out there. And I'm not one that wants that to occur. I really want them to um, give humanity to the unborn in the womb and that which would then allow them those 14th Amendment protections. Uh, and then it's just over the same way slavery didn't go back into the states and begin again. Uh, we just ended it, uh, even though it was a civil war. I'm hoping that this one doesn't end up in a civil war, even though they're boarding up D.C., even as we speak, uh, because of this moment we're getting ready to move into to where uh, there's an anticipation that the laws are going to change when it comes to killing our offspring as a society. Another point I want to make on that is that we have to be careful to not to 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 to, to and recognize uh, the transition for people to catch up with what the world has done. I don't know that that we can say that 
the, that the people are that guilty of just allowing for this to happen. It was a seeping. It's the same way they seep on everything. The enemy is, is a deceiver. So he mm-hmm. just cleverly crafts mm-hmm. in. Uh, so then, but, but the people fighting birth control and abortion were the Catholics that they knew they were like, because they want a lot of children. They really believe the scripture and they knew that this would lead to what we see later on, not just full abortion, but collapse of traditional marriage, conjugal traditional marriage. And so they were out there saying this way before then the evangelicals caught up. Then you started seeing the uh, other uh, interest groups catch up, like the traditional uh, Protestants. And then you started seeing the African-Americans look back and say, my gosh, we have killed 24 million. We've killed more black babies in the womb than were alive during the civil rights movement. Oh, my goodness. So you're starting to see that activity. It's just late. And it's late because people it takes time to get information to people when you've got this unionized press doing everything they can to make sure you don't get that information. The beauty of God is in the last 20 years, we've developed out an Internet to where people can get information that they weren't. They didn't have to go through the funnel of union that controls AP, that controls SAG, that controls and all those controls coming out of the AFL-CIO mm-hmm. can look directly into the West Wing. of the. They can see in the bedroom of the West Wing at the White House. That's how powerful uh, this this group is. And people are now starting to connect those dots, expose those dots and, uh, and, and the mass are responding. And I think that that's a healthy thing. I think that we can be encouraged by where we are. It's dark. It's definitely dark, but we can see that little light because now we're building out our own structures of information, getting around the unionized press and getting out and building our own press, not as alternative press, but as competing press. And on abortion, we've gotten it out enough. People are are working locally. We have over 5,000 pregnancy care centers in the country now that are in local communities, just helping women get the information they need to understand how precious and valuable it is to carry your offspring and to be called a mom. That's a good thing. That has led us to where we now have enough uh, capital, political capital, spiritual capital, uh, infrastructure capital to for the courts to maybe feel comfortable to say it's time to end this crime against humanity because we all know that that's exactly what it is. It's a crime against humanity. We should not be doing it, and we shouldn't definitely be first in the world doing it. I hear you, Star, and I hope you know that the factions that be have the stones, as we would call it, to not kick this back to the states like they want to do everything else. I do have a question I want to ask you about abortion that I know you can't answer because you're not a liberal, but I would like you to take a shot because you know a lot of liberals. I don't I don't know any liberals anymore. They ran away from me. They you you know probably a whole bunch of them. Here's the question. If uh if the Democrat Party, right? Uh, blacks generally vote 90% Democrat and blacks have the highest abortion rate or even just looking at the abortion rate, how high it is. Normally, you would think if you bring a child into the world, there's a good chance that that child will end up voting the way you have raised them to vote. So my question is, with them knowing how many babies are being aborted every year and that there's a good chance that since this is a Democrat thing, mostly that most of the people 
having these abortions, these kids would turn out to be Democrats. Why do they do this? Because if you keep the babies, you probably would never lose an election. Wow, that's an interesting um, take. On They're what killing their voting base. Thank you know. <laughs> I heard you. I'm just thinking that, um, first of all, abortion is much more personal than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know that. Now, I'm, I'm talking okay, about the leadership, talk, the leadership. You're talking that's about Democrat. Yeah. Does, does, does Democrat leadership understand that they're killing a voter base? I think it's deeper than that. I think mm-hmm. that what we're looking at is a sacrament. You know, the scripture tells us, if you don't mind me quoting scripture. Absolutely. Please do. When Apostle Paul was explaining to us humankind on the left, who you're asking mm-hmm. about, who we sometimes call liberals, um, he said that at a certain point he said they worship and serve the creature mm-hmm. rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Mm-hmm. Remember? Yeah, so that's in Romans. That's in Romans 1. Right. right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. So you need three things for worship expression. There are many others, but three top things. One, you need a sanctuary. They have, we have churches, they have classrooms. Two, you need a sacrifice. We have tithes, they have taxes. Mm -hmm. But the third you need to complete that expression of worship is you need a sacrament. We have the body and blood of the Lord. You need an atonement. And they have dead babies the blood of the babies. And this is not new. You see it throughout human history, blood, the the spilling of blood. Uh, And and so I don't know that they're thinking politically. I I get what you're saying. And and logically, uh, that might make sense that, hey, guys, this is a (laughs) you're kind of killing off yourselves. If if we take you to your natural conclusion that, you know, that these children might have the same voting patterns as their parents. But it's deeper than that. It's spiritual. This is it's not political mm-hmm. for them. This is their sacrament. They know that they're sinners. That's and their they altar. know that deep down they, they they yes, it's their all they need they need an atonement. When they lay their head down at night, they can't blame um, you know, Mitch McConnell or Donald Trump. Because now it's them and God. And so it's got that spiritual component of worship. And that's why they're so vile when you're gonna take away their ability to spill blood of dead babies. That's why they're shutting D.C. right now and putting up borders and, and got police officers in almost every corner. That's why someone just got arrested outside Kavanaugh's home. That's why someone like Senator Chuck Schumer would come unglued to just think about that his sacri- sacrament may be leaving. You know, they used to take him to the, the, to, to the Moloch, the god of Moloch, and burn him there to death go. alive. If you look at the expressions, remember Catholic uh, were poor people back then and so they weren't able to read poor weren't reading uh 100 years ago or even 200 years ago for sure and 2000 years ago they definitely weren't reading so they put everything in expression in 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 art uh and uh they put the bible in art they everything and man they were very if you look back at some of the uh artists of that time uh, they were very visual, and, and uh, I mean, even uh, who God called pure, Nathaniel, he's carrying his skin. If you look at the top of the Vatican, each of the statues or how they died. Uh, and so when it comes to the, the killing of the innocent, you can look through some of those expressions, many of them in the Vatican, where the mom, uh, and has, as they're stabbing that child, it's just incredible, uh, the the 
I guess you could say the fulfillment that the left gets out of spilling the blood of the innocent. And that's what we're really up against. And it's going to get really wicked over these next couple of weeks, simply because the court is saying, we've decided to revisit Roe, and we're going to make a judgment on whether it's consistent with the Constitution uh, to kill your offspring. There you go, Star. You know, uh, since Star went Bible, folks, uh, she brought up uh, Romans 1 about sacrifice on the altar, but she also mentioned Molech, which was a phony god. And for those of you who don't know, the statue of Molech, it's finally reached the point where the Hebrews were starting to pop their babies out, and this to me was their form of abortion, and throw them to this pagan god Molech, and eventually that's when God said enough. And that's when the Hebrews went back into captivity to Babylon. So this is not a pleasing thing to God, obviously, because every child is made in the image of God and only God can take a life. Star, are you ready for a mic drop moment? I'm going to (laughs) give you your mic drop moment. I am going to say three words and hand you the mic. And sit back and listen. And those three words are critical race theory. Drop. I would suggest highly that rather than try to run for school boards, try to redeem a pagan system of forcing all of our kids in the same classroom to learn secularism, that we take this moment in history to re-ask ourselves a question about how we educate our children. I don't have a problem with people pooling their resources to educate other people's children. We do that through our property taxes. We, we, many believe that to have a civil society, you need an educated society. So we've decided to pool our resources to educate other people's children. But I do mind when the government then goes into the education business. No more would I want them to be in the in the grocery store business so they can distribute their food stamps, then do I want government educating children, other people's children, forcing ideas down someone else's children's throat. So I think that critical race theory, now that has reached headlines of those that are in our general population who for years and years and years have been fighting against money following children to schools parents want, that they would join that movement, that they would begin to say that public school system, a government-run education system is inconsistent with not just the Bible, but is inconsistent with our Constitution. There you go. There you go. Star, uh, this has been great. I have one more question for you, and then we'll let you tell people how to reach you. The question is about how, what is your take, how Americans should look at guns, gun control, the Second Amendment, and all this stuff that is going on right now? I don't believe in an accident that the, uh, the, the, the freedom to arm is a Second Amendment with all of the ideas of freedom outlined in the First Amendment. I think that in order to protect the interests of the First Amendment, we must have the Second Amendment. Amen. I think that all of the discussions, including what they, the offensiveness of Bay Bayhart, that, oh, they'll change the law as soon as they see a bunch of black people getting guns, is not only highly offensive, it's highly racist. Every American should have an arm. 
it protects your family and your freedom. And I believe that that's what the founders had in mind. We as a society bought the idea that we would allow for it to only uh, go into the hands of a few. And many of those few in our hardest hit neighborhoods are the few called criminals. I think that if we really take seriously the Freedom of America, the last stop before you go totally into tyranny and then totally into totalitarian is to disarm a people. We need to make sure that what they're talking about in, in the Congress right now never happens to this country. The first area that they are going to be able to uh, consume us all is to have us unarmed. This is very, very critical. And I mean everything, all these red flag laws. If you think about red flag laws to where your next door neighbor can turn you in and you're guilty until proven innocent, innocent yeah. and disarm you. Black people have been here before. In fact, my organization, Cure Policy, we just dust it off and add that we've been running every single time these people cry wolf and want to disarm a people. We're looking at 10-year-olds dead, and the first place they go is to disarm law-abiding citizens. Our ad takes us all the way back to Mississippi Code to where they disarm black people. Our ad goes all the way back to the beginning of history of African Americans in this country to where that 20% of the population that were not enslaved never, they disarmed them. Mm-hmm. We can never go there again. Never again is the name of the ad. We're not doing background checks. We're not doing red flag laws. Never should the American people cede any ground on their Second Amendment. The moment you start ceding ground, ground on your Second Amendment, you have lost all of your protections of First Amendment. You've got that right. And I want you to comment on this and tell me if you agree with what I'm about to say. The first thing is pretty obvious that Mao, Stalin, Lenin, everybody in Venezuela, Hugo Chavez, any other, before a nation can go communist, the first thing they got to do, they got to get God out of there. Then they got to get rid of your guns. So when they do go communist on you, you, you don't have weapons to fight back. But the, the big lie to me here in America is about, well, we got to get the assault weapon. See, it's not to to me. It's not about a weapon per se. It's they say we got to get the assault weapons. But guess what? If there are no assault weapons and it was just a snub nose thirty eight and people were going in and shooting people with a snub nose thirty eight, then they'd say we got to take snub nose thirty eights away from law abiding citizens. And then if the criminals were using bow and arrows, they'd say, well, we got to get rid of bows and arrows from law abiding citizens because it's not about the type of weapon that's being used. It's about a systematic attempt to disarm us. Is that fair? I think it's fair, but I think that I don't, I don't even want to get caught up in the weeds of which gun. I don't either, but they the are, and the people, the want, people want to say, oh, we can let them have this gun. No, you can't let them have anything. That's right. None. Amen to that, Star. I really appreciate it. Once you see any ground, mm-hmm. once you see any ground, you're on their yard, and they will take it all, as you said. 
Right. And people, please understand what she's saying. Look at history. Roe versus Wade was about Norma McCorvey. Look at where we are now. Now they want infanticide. Oh, we just want same sex unions. Now you can be a man. You can be a woman. You can be this. You can be that. You can be a coward dog. It, it, it never is going to end. <laughs> right. Evil will always be with us. So the good has to constantly war against it. And that's where we are in our cultural war today. And at the end of the day, when this is settled, and depending on what happens in November, we're either going to be biblical and free, or we're going to be secular pagan status. Big government controls every area where there may be a consequence to that sin that we allow to get out of control in the, because of evil. People, that's she just nailed fighting. it. Right. She just nailed it. That, you have a vote. That's what we're doing here. Yep. Even though you said in the opening that you would never even be here. Somebody has to do it. <laughs> that's what you told evil, me. And that's why I backed off. I said, God bless you. Do nothing. <laughs> right. I said, because you Lord told happens. me before. Yeah. You said somebody has to be here. And you told me your, your kids and your family want you out of there. So I get it. But somebody has to do it. So I understand. Somebody has to be the light keeper and shine light and truth. Star, please tell people yeah, how well, they well, can. One other thing I wanted to. I, I, okay, I'll tell you how to go. But one other thing I want to mention on that point. Because, you know, a lot of your audience are conservatives and many of them are leaning toward uh, thinking that um, they'd just rather burn the whole house down than to, uh, you know, try to protect uh, our interests and the mm-hmm. way that our country is designed uh, just because they came home and found their kids at a big party. Uh, we, we showed up late. Yes, liberals have gotten into every institution. It's very dark out there. But we can still turn things around. The last thing we want to do is burn the whole house down because we think that uh, it's it's all broken. I just want to remind them I'm not the only one here. There are really good, decent people in Washington, D.C., in political power on the good guys team. And it would help us if when you find one little matter you don't agree with, that it, it, it would help us if you stop exposing them as, as just evil themselves. Now, we've got a bigger enemy that we should be concerned about. And if we keep fracturing the way that we are, they're going to slip in and take states like Ohio and Wisconsin and North Carolina and Pennsylvania and Florida. And we are going to really see uh, what King Solomon talked about when uh, he defined the four generations. We're going to see the fangs. That fourth one is really, really bad. So we do not want to get that that we want to capture that generation. And the only way we're going to capture that generation is if we change public policy so that we can change people's lives. That's what politicians are here for. That's why we have elections. Uh, and it doesn't help for people to take their ball and and go home because their particular primary candidate didn't win. You are so right about that because that's what the left always wants us to do. Shut up, stay in the walls of the church, shut up, go home, don't vote. Just give it, just give it to us. Just, just turn just it over it to, to us. us. And we'll be nice to you. We promise. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. Go again. <laughs> How I'm has that ever worked read. out? Yeah. I remember it was Nero that, um, that actually Paul and Peter died under his mm-hmm. hand. And um, I'm getting ready to go again to the catacombs just to refresh myself uh, in what we're really up against. They can uh, catch me as you ask uh, at curepolicy.org, curepolicy.org. And if they send a note, it'll probably eventually get to me if they say that they heard me on your show. And tell them about any of the books or anything that you want to promote in the name of your uh, your your uh, show, where they can find it. 
oh, the show uh, Cure America with Star Parker, if they don't uh, have DirecTV or some of the other places that come that are NRB or TCT, then they can go to curepolicy.org and sign up for our newsletter. And then every Wednesday we send out my podcast, my show, my column, and then other things that we're doing inside of Cure, including they'll get information about our first tome, The State of Black America. Star, thanks for coming on. You know I'm going to have you back. Uh, and I really thank you. You have put out a lot of knowledge for people, and knowledge is true. Thank you once again. God bless you, and God You're bless welcome. your family. Thank you. Bye-bye. Star Parker, everybody. She's a wonderful guest, and she's in the belly of the beast. She's remaining working in that Washington Beltway, and it is rough there. But uh, God is protecting her and has given her uh, a, a voice and a large voice that she's had for over 30 years. She knows what she's talking about. Please listen. And I hope if you have liberal friends that uh, just don't really understand what's going on in our country, you get them this podcast because she wrapped it out there in no uncertain terms. Once again, Star Parker of Cure. I want to thank Star Parker for taking us back then bringing us up to date in regard to how we've gotten into this mess and how we can get out of it. Protecting our First and Second Amendments are critical to retaining the Constitution that grants us the freedom to even discuss critical issues on a platform such as this. This podcast is available for download at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. That's all for now, folks. Thanks for joining us. So until the next time, this is your host, Gary Benford, saying God bless you, God bless your families, and God bless America.